Welcome everybody to Off the Bench with Brennan and Dallin. I'm Dallin. I'm Brennan. Well, we uh, we're back for another episode. I know the last episode we did it was it was kind of a a good space in between episodes, but like we said, we were waiting for this kind of the Sun series to shape up a little bit more and uh, waiting for the NFL draft as well. So we uh, we're trying to get back onto our kind of our regular schedule of uh, recording. So. Yeah, definitely. We want to be getting at least one pot out a week, and so that's the goal. And like we said, um, last week was super fun to do. It was kind of just a little change of pace, but um, we'll be getting an episode out, especially now kind of just everything's kind of um, slowing down for us just personally-wise, school, kids, and everything. So it'll be nice to, to get this routinely going, get a get a pot out a week, and, and yeah, just get interaction with everybody. We appreciate everyone who's, who's downloaded and listened. It's, it's awesome. Absolutely, yeah. We're we're definitely looking forward to uh, getting more content out there out there for you guys. Um, well, this this week, what we wanted to really focus on was kind of just doing a little bit of a recap of the NFL draft um, as a whole, and also looking at the Cardinals and how they kind of set themselves up. Um, then we'll talk a little bit about the Suns. Uh, I know they have a big game tonight, but we'll talk about their their matchup against the Nuggets, and then uh, we'll do a little bit of the, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks in there as well. Yeah. No, perfect. Um, so yeah, kind of just a draft recap. The draft was super fun. The first round was pretty crazy, just overall, like tons. Of, I mean, I, I could have looked this up. But I mean, I feel like there was a ton of trades this this first round. It, there definitely seemed like there was a lot more than normal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot of action going on. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a ton of action. I mean, Will Levis falling out of the first round. I think. I think the Vegas odds had put it at like it was like a point zero one percent chance he wasn't going to get drafted and yeah, yeah and he f- what Tennessee ended up trading back up in the early second round to get him but it's yep. like it was actually yeah. traded with us to get him they traded back up with what we got the Steelers I think? no no they traded up with, oh was it was it our pick it was our pick it was our pick yeah huh? yeah they, no, they, they no, traded thirty three for it and That's we got a next we got. That's right. We got their third round and then some other stuff. Some other things going on there. Yeah. I I did see that the amount of money that he missed out on. Because, you know, obviously, if you go in the the top, whatever, in the the first round of the draft, you're getting 10, you're getting probably 20 to 30 million a year. It's like part of your guaranteed contract. He went from like, I think it was like 34 or something like that projected um, to like 9 million for the spot that he got picked at. So he Jeez. lost out on like $25 million. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then especially too, because, and that's why I was surprised no one ended up trading back up because when you're that first rounder, you get that fifth option. Yeah. That fifth year option. Yes. Where, and that's a pretty, I don't think it's a fully guaranteed, but it ends up being like if guys who get it, it's like roughly, depending on where you are, it's like anywhere from like 17 to $10 million guaranteed. It's on still that a decent year. amount it's of a, money. Yeah. It's a ton of money. And and other teams like it because again, it's just they're they're allowed to control the asset for a little bit longer, really make sure. I mean, you think Daniel Jones is what they did a couple years ago until he kind of had a mini breakout season. They decided to sign it, but it's like, yeah, it, it's just surprising nobody. Maybe just people didn't want to give up the capital. They felt like they were going to have to give up to get in, back into the first round, but that sure. was. And there was the rumor. I mean, I think that I think what ended up coming out is that he had some lingering toe issue. It's kind of what. Yeah, I did. I did hear a little bit about that. I didn't. I didn't hear too much. Yeah. Or too much detail about exactly what it was, but I. I mean, I don't know. Toe injuries can be a little bit 
tricky here and there, but it's not like it's an ACL or it's not like it's a, an elbow, you know, a throwing arm yeah. injury kind of thing. So, yeah, it's not something I think you'd project like, oh, this is going to be a long term issue. So it's like yeah. a toe issue, a toe injury, really like dropping him out. <laughs> Teams is not, I, I think there was a lot of hype from a lot of draft experts that really liked him. Yeah. But I think then it showed like all the teams were kind of like, eh, we kind of yeah. like him, but he's not. There's definitely a lot more players that other teams liked. Absolutely, I think I think we both kind of hit the nail on the head when we were thinking. You know, I don't. We don't think that his talent was that uh, far above other quarterbacks. You know, like the projection that we saw where he could have potentially gone number one or even yeah. number two. I never thought he was that good of a player. Like he's he's talented, but yeah, in terms of these other these other. Um, these other draft picks or these other uh, prospects, I don't. I didn't think he was that good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, uh, to, to merit a, a high pick like that. I agree. I think you looked at the other, the other kind of the four quarterbacks that were all grouped together with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and then Will Levis. I think the other three, I, I think excluding Richardson, I think you looked at C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and think, okay, they have higher ceilings and higher floors. I think yeah. is what. Yeah. Maybe Will Levis might have a slightly higher higher ceiling if he can piece it all together because he does have a better arm. Um, I think he's a little bit more mobile than actually both of those quarterbacks. But I think they just looked at like, hey, these guys are, their floors are just way higher. And I think interesting, Richardson is the one guy where it's like, I think listening to a lot, and, and I agree watching him play last year, like he definitely has the highest ceiling if he can put it all together. But I think his floor is by far the lowest. I mean, it's, yeah, he yeah. could be out of a job in two years. Like. Yeah, you, you could see it going either way. Uh, but who, who knows? Maybe this this slide, this embarrassment that he suffered on draft yeah. day, maybe that ends up being a chip on his shoulder and he comes out on fire and he comes out, you know what, I'm going to piece this together and I'm going to show these teams why they made a mistake in not drafting me, you know? So who, who knows? Yeah, and he probably won't have to start either right away. Yeah. Uh, the Titans still have mm, Ryan Tannehill. So it's, I think he has a chance to learn. He has a chance to... um just kind of get his feet wet a little bit. I think at some point he probably will start, but it's not going to have to be, hey, you got thrown into the fire right away. And the fact that Mike Vrabel's his head coach, I think Mike Vrabel's yeah. a good guy to coach him to, to kind of push him um, in terms of like, hey, this chip on your shoulder, like you just like just to drive him. I, I like Mike Vrabel's. He's a really good coach. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it, it's not always about just the X and X's and O's. Yeah. He's just a very good player coach. Like yep. he just oh, he, he relates to his players very well and, and is able to get the best out of them. So yeah, who knows? Maybe that's the perfect storm for for Will Levis really kind of turning around this this career. Yeah. I, I don't know if you watched on the on draft day. There was multiple times the cameras kept showing him in the green room, and it was each time they showed it, it just like got more and more depressing. Yeah, it was excruciating. I was like, man, just you could see the pain in his face. Yep. He's trying to keep it together. Yeah, it was kind of tough to watch. It, oh yeah, it was rough, <laughs> and like you just you never want that to happen to. A, I mean, he's a, he's a he's we're both older than him. He's a young man. He's a kid, and yeah. it's like you essentially what's supposed to be this amazing night. Family's all there, and it's just like just falls apart, and it's yeah, like just doesn't live up to what you're hoping for. So that was, but it was rough to watch. But again, like you said, like you hope like hey, you think a lot of good quarterbacks that I mean Aaron Rodgers slid down in the late twenties, Lamar Jackson last pick of the first round. So it's like yeah, there's definitely examples of dudes who like okay, like they felt like they should have been drafted higher and they went out and proved that like yeah yeah, 
I, I am way better than all the quarterbacks who were drafted in my class. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, and we we also could go the other way and say, you know, the example was Josh Rosen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, there was what four or five mistakes made before me, but yeah, that, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah, but. exactly. Exactly. But I think I, I like, like I said I like Vrabel, so I think he's going to a good situation. He's like a stable head coach, a coach who who can get the best out of his players. So it's think about like the, that situation. Maybe it's not the best roster around him, but I think he's a really really good coach around him, which is yeah. I think the first the first step for a successful quarterback. If they are maybe not these elite gifted guys, like you got to have a coach who's stable and who's going to be there for the long haul. And I think Vrabel, Vrabel is. Yeah. No, I I definitely think so. I think so. Um, so now talking a little bit about the Cardinals, more specifically on them and what their picks were, um, kind of what our thoughts are. My over overwhelming thought from this draft is I think Monty Austin Fort nailed it his first draft. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think from a standpoint of what did we come away with uh, nine players, eight or nine players, um, and I think. Overall, our, the draft grade that the Cardinals got, the overwhelming amount is that it was a very good draft. Mm-hmm. Came away with some steals. Yep. Um, I do like the Paris Johnson Jr. pick. I think I think it all starts, and it's not always the sexiest pick, getting alignment with some of your top picks. Yep. Um, it's fundamental, and it's something that us as Cardinals fans have not seen a whole lot with – the team actually expending high draft picks on very good linemen that become cornerstones, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially, are. especially in the last few years where offensive line has been an af- afterthought and just been basically signing guys, yep, veterans, one and two year deals, one and two year deals, just a, a patchwork offensive line. And how has it worked out for us the past couple of years? Yeah, no, I think I think if you think about that and you think, okay, like protecting Kyler going forward or whoever might be a quarterback in the future. Like if Paris Johnson can live up to being, Hey, an all pro left tackle, which I think a lot of people think that, especially where he was picked. Um, you, you think really like, okay, like he was one of the blue chip players. So again, yeah. it's not, like you said, it's not this big, sexy pick. It's not a, a, a defensive end. It's not a cornerback. It's not a receiver, but it's, it's a building block piece for a solid team, yeah, a piece for a team that's going to be successful in the future. It's like you got to get the you you have to get your line set. And the nice thing is, I feel like especially with defense, with offensive line in particular, like I think we might talk about it last time too. Is like I feel like sometimes when you draft high value players in terms of like you said defensive ends or cornerbacks, receivers, or just those positions early, and you have a really bad team, I think their their mistakes can look a lot worse, but I feel like alignment can be it doesn't alignment can be on a two and fourteen team, yeah, and they can still be real high. They can make all pro teams. Well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alex Mack, who was the center for the Cleveland Browns for years, I mean, he was on he was like an on a no and sixteen team, one. terrible teams, but he was amazing. And it was like you never like okay, so those things like I think like of all the positions, I think an offensive tackle can still learn a ton and grow a ton. Even on a bad team, oh, they don't. They're not. Definitely. It's not like a receiver's like, man, you got to hope they can be getting fed the ball, and there's a quarterback who can throw in the ball. It's like, hey, stack and go on block, not give up sacks, not give up pressures, and have a great season. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah. I, I've also been hearing a lot about this John Gaines from UCLA, another lineman. Yep, another lineman. I heard he was kind of a steal at the the spot that we got him. Um, so yeah, it just goes back to really establishing that offensive line, making sure. 
that is a fundamental piece because it, it does you no good to have a DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, you got James Conner. You have these flashy skill players. Yeah, you know, Rondo Moore. Flashy skill players if you can't get him the ball because your quarterback is under duress and yep. is getting sacked or is having to run for his life. So starting from that fundamental, okay, we need to control the line of scrimmage, have our offensive line be stellar, allow Kyler the time to move around in there and not have to be running for his life and just get rid of the ball, that that should help us um, in the long run. So, Yeah, and, and think about the line too. It's like you go, okay, the defensive side, well, our, our second-round pick, B.J. Ojolari from LSU, a lot of people really liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Kuyper said it was a great pick. They said, again, he's maybe why he didn't go in the first round is his ceiling isn't as high, but he said his floor is really high. He said he's yeah. a really, really high floor. And, and you know what? At this point, I think when you're in the position that the Cardinals are in, like, yes, you want to try to hit these home runs and you want to get maybe, okay, guys who who don't who project a lot better, but their floor might be lower. Again, those kind of um, those volatile players who can either be really great or really bad. I think with the position that we're in, it's like, you know, you need guys who will at least give you – B level grades. Yes, you want the dudes who can give you A A plus, but at the same time, that guy that has developed, doesn't have his head on straight, can also give you an F. It's like yeah. you just want to get solid picks. You want to get guys who are gonna play, who are gonna be on the team in a few years, and who are gonna be able to again, maybe not have thirteen uh, sacks a season, but like six, seven sacks a season, just contributors. I think, and I think with with BJ, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say I've heard a lot about it, the motor on that kid. Yeah, the kid is yeah, just—he's just has this motor where he just does not stop. Yeah, he may not be the biggest, um, or in terms of of for his size or for his his position, mm-hmm. his size is a little small. But I yeah, the motor is something that you can't always teach. So if they have that, the rest of it can can develop. So I'm kind of excited for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited. They drafted a couple cornerbacks. I mean, their third-round pick, uh, Garrett Williams out of Syracuse, and then a later pick in the Clark out of Louisville. So, again, these guys, they needed. They needed that position. They had lost a lot over the past couple years. Um, It it did kind of interest me that that Garrett Williams, he's actually coming off of an injury. mm -hmm. He had tore his ACL, I think, or MCL, something like that. So that does give me a little bit of pause. I'm like, okay, well, we may not see him right away. Um, And at this point... Not that we're trying to contend for a title, um, but but just get it, you know, picking somebody who's already or who's coming off of an injury. Um, mm-hmm. It's gonna be a while before he gets onto the field, so and it was I, intriguing. But I did I did see the reports on him is that yeah. he's a very good cornerback. So yeah, I heard like if he didn't have that injury, he was looking at like a way higher second round grade. So the fact that we yeah. got him in the third round, it's like hey, again, just another steal. Yeah, it's Not gonna be maybe a draft and stash for a little bit. Maybe comes out towards the end of the season, but. And it's like we're we're not expecting a whole lot this season, so maybe I mean that's a position where okay, like yeah, guys can be hurt for a bit. It's not going to seem right away, but but the projection is long term. It's not just okay, we got to draft guys to help us win in the next two years. It's building this roster. The yeah. other thing I, I think about with, with this draft is I know when we when we when we traded away that number three pick to Houston, and then it was like okay, they got Will Anderson Jr., a guy who I think we both really liked mm. and really wanted. And then I was like, okay, well, we're going to get their first round pick, and it's probably going to be in the low to mid, um, sorry, the high to mid teens. But then as I was looking through it more, and as, as I've been looking at like just different websites, different people's power rankings for next year, like 
I kind of forgot. The Texans are still really bad. They're, <laughs> they're not going to be. Yeah, they're not going to be good. Like unless CJ Stroud turns into the rookie of the year, and and uh, Will Anderson turns into the defensive rookie of the year, like they are still a very bad team. Yeah. And everyone has us as the worst, them as the second worst. And how crazy would it be? Can you imagine? <laughs> how, in a draft where presumably next year you're going to have two elite quarterbacks, Drake May, North Carolina, yep. and Caleb Williams, USC. Yep. And if we're sitting there with both of those picks, like, that's, I mean, you either get a king's ransom for both of them, or you draft someone with the first pick and you get a king's ransom for the second. Like, I think that's what people went like. Okay, Monty Osborne set the Cardinals up to, if again a lot of ifs and projections, but if the Cardinals and the Houston's and the Texans are the two worst teams next year, or very close to it, let's say the top four, yeah, like, very very well could be. If you have two of the top four picks, like you, you essentially control the draft, especially oh. if one of them can be one, and if by luck both of them, if you have if you have the top two picks, you get draft, one two. <laughs> I mean, you you you. You're going to turn around and set yourself up again to have multiple first rounds the next year. Yep. And then potentially, then it, like, you're just setting yourself up where, like, okay, we can be drafting two picks in the first round for the next few years. Which yeah. is huge. It was a team that is rebuilding. That's what you need. You need tons of, of, of opportunities to draft elite players. And if you have two first round picks for a couple of years, you have just that. Exactly, exactly. So, and the picks that they ended up coming away with for 2024, this is this is what's got me excited looking forward because obviously we know this this year is going to be a wash. Yep. We're already looking toward the future, but in 2024, so they have their own team picks. They also picked up the Texans first round, their the Texans third round, the Titans third round, and the Eagles fifth round. So yeah. that means that they would have a total of 11 picks next year with Two picks in the first round, third round, fourth, and fifth round. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> well, what? In the first three rounds, we have six total picks. We have yeah. two first rounders, a second rounder, a third rounder. So, and again, if we have the first two picks, even the first three picks, and another, there's always usually a third quarterback that comes up that's like, okay, this is. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, again, there's going to be. Yeah. So it's like, you can, if you can parlay that and turn that round into a second rounder, a first rounder, like he, you just, he has said, he did what I think a lot of people maybe thought. That Steve kind of could never do is like setting yourself up for the future of yeah. really high picks and really yeah. valuable picks, and it's like kind of just well, kind of was okay at some things. I felt like you just never thought like, man, he is when he's on the phone, he's controlling the situation with trades. It feels like he he was always getting played. Yes, yes, and and it seemed like when during the drafts he was only drafting for that next year, yep. or he wasn't looking toward the future. Exactly like you like you what you said like. Monty has this viewpoint of we're not going to be good this year. I need to set myself up and put myself in the best position to succeed. And how am I going to be able to do that? Stockpiling picks, making us very appealing to other teams so that next year we know that there's going to be some very prime prospects coming out to either have that leverage of, all right, if you want this pick, what are you going to give me? Yep. Or they can, like I saw the projection if uh, Cardinals finished with the worst record and then Texas finished with the second worst record, we get one, two. They take Caleb Williams and then that Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, I saw that too. That would be dynamic cool. duo. Yeah, right there. So, I mean, that's kind of got me excited. Um, I I don't know. I don't know for sure if that would happen. Um, I think if we ended up with both of those, those two picks, I think 
the prospect of trading back would probably be too much. Yeah, I think you could just kind of the, kind of the similar to how we saw with Will Anderson. Like he was yeah. one of those tried and true. Like he's gonna be good, but you set yourself up for later, so you trade back out of it. So I don't I don't know if I could see them taking those two players with one two, but yeah. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, man, that would be awesome, especially if we're gonna be losing D Hop. To, have, to lose D-Hop and then have Marvin Harrison Jr. come in. Just come in and replace him right away, yeah. And you know that kid's going to be a star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to – I mean, his kid is such a stud. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a crazy scenario where you get essentially your, your quarterback of the future. You get your wide receiver one of the future. And then you still are – you're still able to trade Kyler. I still think you could get things for him. Like, I still think he is a trade – even though his contract's huge, I still think he's a trade mm-hmm. asset. So, if you decide, okay, we're going to move on from him, like – you're still going to pick up picks along the way. Like, I just think the Cardinals, while it's going to be probably a rough couple years, I think they're setting themselves up with how Monty's has the the picks positioned to do really well and to be able to draft those elite guys for a while. Like, yeah. just in terms of just strictly just where we're probably going to be drafting. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the other thing that I like too, and I think it kind of went under the radar a little bit. They drafted a quarterback in round five. They did. Yep. Clay, Clayton Toon out of Houston. He's a four-year starter, so he's got a lot of experience under his belt. Yep. He's a big guy. He's like six, six three, something like yeah, that. Two, two hundred twenty. So he's a big dude. He's completely opposite of Kyler. Yes. Um, I think it was kind of under the radar in terms of maybe the GM is telling Kyler, "Hey, you are our franchise quarterback, but we need to see some progress. We need to see something, or else we're going to move on." Yeah. Like he's he's not tied to him at all. So he's kind of maybe lighting a fire under him saying, hey, you need to prove it to us or else we're going to be moving on. Yeah, I agree. And I think we needed to pick up another quarterback. And the fact that we, I mean, yeah, fifth round pick, there's still a lot of guys in the fifth round who end up playing for a while. So it's like they just, oh, yeah. they made oh, a yeah. pretty significant investment into grabbing a quarterback. So in that Houston had a pretty decent offense last year. There was a couple of kids yeah. who were on USC who transferred to Houston. So I ended up watching them a little bit, just games. And he, he always played all right. So it's like... Especially a guy like this who, who like like we said, a four-year yep. starter. So he's he's had experience under his belt. He's played a lot of games. He's not like not like he came in and played one, two years, and that was it. And then he's off to the NFL. Like this guy, this kid's been playing a lot. So yeah, he's, he's, a lot of he's, experience. he's got a lot of experience. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, I think we did. If you just took a who we picked this in this year's draft, plus who were plus the trades we made and the the draft assets we got for the next year, I mean, it's hard not to give the, the not to give him an A. It's a great first, great first draft with Monte Austin for it. Um, again, drafting a couple, drafting a, hopefully what's going to turn out to be your your left tackle of the future. Um, some high, some high upside guys in in BJ Olari, Garrett Williams, um, John Gaines. Again, the, the offensive lineman at UCLA probably going to kick in, play guard somewhere. But yeah, I think just a mixture of all of that. Like it's hard not to be like, okay, like there's some optimism for what for Monty Osenford's style of drafting and what he's looking for. Because I feel like every year with Kime, you could always kind of just predict what was going to happen. You always kind of like, okay, he's probably going to take. Mostly he's gonna take a flyer on a guy. The guy's yeah. a lot of upside, a lot of downside, and, yep. and that's that's bit us in the butt a few times. And I think Monty just took an opposite approach. Like I'm just gonna draft guys who who are gonna provide a, a minimal level of excellency, and then you go from there. Yeah, exactly. So I I, I do think uh, I'm on the same page. I think Monty really set us up for success um, yeah. later down the road. So it, it's. There's something to look forward to, Cardinals fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. It's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> right. 
All right. Well, I think we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA. Talk a little bit about the uh, the playoffs going on here, and as well as the Suns and their predicament that they're in. <laughs> um, yeah. But overall, the overall playoffs. What are you thinking so far? Like the teams that are in it right now, still. The playoffs have been awesome. They've been, it's been really the fact that you've had, I mean, some, a little bit of chaos in the East. It's been fun to watch. Um, that you have Miami. An eight seed who is looking like they, I mean, what they're up two one in the series. They just won last night. Um, they almost beat. They could. They were almost up three zero. They almost, yeah. They they and very they well could sat, be. Sat. They sat. I mean, I think I had started reading around just like sports conspiracy theory of like they they steal <laughs> the first game. Cool. We're gonna sit, Jimmy. We don't need to win the second game. Yes. We get one. Great. Let's get him rested up. He's been playing a ton of minutes. Let's get his legs back underneath him. Essentially, all we wanted to do was steal a game yeah. in New York, and it's like, and they did that. So they had kind of that like opportunity, like, cool, we can rest him. And the fact that they almost beat him, and they came, and then they beat him in Game Three, um, that's that's kind of wild. And yeah, you're again, it's, you have this this team who now I think when they run into Boston, I think that's I, I think Boston's gonna win. I think unless Embiid can come back, and he still hasn't looked super healthy, but I think if 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 it's Boston Miami, I, I kind of depends on them in Boston. I think Boston just has too much in terms of what they're gonna be able to throw at yeah. Miami. Just too much firepower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do see the Knicks, or I mean the the Heat beating the Knicks. Um, I yeah. think that that's gonna happen. Yeah, the Heat are just streaking right now. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Celtics are gonna end up taking care of the Sixers, and then I think we're probably gonna end up seeing the Celtics in the finals. Um, yeah, I'd be really surprised. I think I think at this point, if you're a Boston fan and you're not in the finals, it's probably that's, a disappointment. That's going to be disappointing, yeah. yeah. I, especially considering, you know, last year when they came that close. Uh, yeah, their, their expectations are pretty high. But um, over in the Western Conference, uh, we'll talk about the other bracket, the yeah. Lakers-Warriors. Man, that, again, it, again, you look at the Lakers and it's like, okay, they steal a game in, in Golden State. And it's like, and that last night, it's weird because I, I saw this thing of just showing like, essentially it's when AD plays well, they win. And again, it's kind of like, okay, obviously one of the best players yeah. on the teams plays well. But yeah. it's like, it's really stark. I mean, he'll have game, when they lose, he plays pretty bad. I, I saw I saw a thing on the news. Got, it, it said that AD has probably got to be one of the most bipolar players. Yeah. Because he can have a game, like in the first, first game, he had what, 30-something points and like yep. 20 rebounds. Like he just dominant effort. The next game, he has like 13 points or something like that and, and barely a double-double. And, and it, he, it's just so hot and cold. Yeah, and then last night, 25 points, 13 rebounds again. Yeah. So it's like when he's hitting those double-doubles, they're, win- they're more likely than not going to win the game. But then it's – yeah, but then it's like when they lose, it's not even like, okay, he played well in a losing effort. It's like, well, I kind of lost because he just didn't play. He, he, was, he just he's disappeared. Like he disappeared. Yeah, yeah, he, he really is. He's just – they go as Anthony Davis goes, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Having so, LeBron James on the team, and it's like, yeah, we kind of will win depending on this guy, not one of the two best players of all time in the NBA. Yeah, I, it's kind of got me worried because I do not want to see the Lakers in the finals because <laughs> that's just that would just give me the the ick. But yeah, no, uh, thank you. I, I mean. I guess credit to them, they are kind of peaking at the right time and and playing some of their best basketball. So I do still have faith 
in the Warriors. I think the Warriors can still pull it off. It's just going to take a lot more effort. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a seven-game series. I think in the West, you're looking at two it's probably seven-game series for sure. Like I think the, the Lakers and I assume that the Warriors are going to come back with some um, with some change-ups and some adjustments, and they'll probably take game four, and it's just then back and forth, and most likely comes down to a game seven in Golden State. And I think the Lakers' biggest thing is that the difference between the Lakers and the Kings is like the Kings, while they were young, they never had anyone who's done it before. Yeah, exactly. It's like obviously you have LeBron James, Anthony Davis who's been there, who's won. Exactly. Um, you have guys like, I mean, even Dennis Schroeder, a guy who just doesn't care. Like that guy is just going to go out and play. <laughs> He's like, going to go out and play, yeah. You have guys who have, you have at least your your top two players who have won championships, won multiple championships in terms of LeBron. Like they're not going to be afraid to go into that game seven thinking like oh man yeah. we're in golden state yeah. we're not gonna win this like they they realize like hey we have just as good a chance to win this game as they do yeah no I, I, well and, and then and then you got the exact same thing on the other side you know yep. with golden state steph and clay they've been there done that before yeah exactly. even, even draymond you know and, and most recently they literally just did it the last round yep yep <laughs> uh when they went somewhere on the road in the game seven and won it yeah. And so they like that's a very interesting series. Um that's definitely what ESPN and the NBA wanted is to have yes. <laughs> that uh, that kind of entertaining series. So And that that it's been it's been a super fun series. Absolutely. Um all right, so now the Suns Nuggets. What are you, what have, what have you thought so far the first 3 games? I felt <sighs> It, it, this series has played way more what I expected than the last series, where it's like the home team just play plays better at home, and your role players play better at home. Just more comfortable. Just yeah, more comfortable. Absolutely. And, and I didn't feel like that last years. I felt like none of our role players did anything home or away. They were terrible. Yeah. But especially this last game, and we'll go game by game. I think I would like to break that down. Yeah. But no, yeah. if you just if you just, this last game, a lot of the guys who were who were bench players, role players, played so much better, and they needed it. Um, especially now with Chris Paul being out, he's out for tonight. <clears throat> Maybe he comes back for Game Five. That's I think what they're hoping for. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of got me concerned because I don't know that for sure if he's going to be back or if he if he comes back, he's not going to be at hundred percent. So no, no, not at all. But okay, so let's let's go let's go Game One. Suns one hundred and seven, Nuggets one twenty five. Uh, I, I mean, I, I went through and I've been taking a little bit of notes here and there as I watch the games and, and then after I go through and look at all the stats. But um, game one, the Suns were just run out of the building. I mean... It's that second quarter that just, it was, just yeah. killed them. It was 125-107. I mean, it's an 18-point win, but even then, it didn't feel like it was an 18-point game. Uh, it just... We just did not seem like we belonged on the same floor with them. Now, credit to them. They had some great shooting nights. You know, Jamal Murray went off. Yeah. Um, the, th- the Some of the notes that I had, the, the Phoenix starters were outscored 102 to 83. So 19 points. They were they're outscored by 19 points, which is basically the, the result of the game. Yep. Uh, we actually ended up holding Nikola Jokic to 9 of 21 shooting. He didn't have a, a, a stellar game. You no, know, he so didn't. I mean, he had 19 rebounds. He had a ton of rebounds, but he's... He, that's just to be expected with that guy, which is another point of emphasis, the whole rebounding thing. Yep. Um, the three-point shooting has been one of our Achilles heels. Yes. Uh, in that first game, we made seven. Denver made 16 with Jamal Murray making six by himself. So he almost made as many threes as our entire team did. 
just yeah, by himself. Six of ten. Aaron Gordon went three of four. Yeah. Uh, it, so it's like you have. I mean, you look at those two right there, and that's nine threes on a really high percentage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're got. You're not going to win the game. The free throw percentage. The free throw disparity was actually. The Suns had more free throws in this game. So that was something I. When we come to game two, it's just kind of that was that a big one. Yeah. yeah, it's like the free throws actually since had more free throws in game one. Well, yeah, it just seems like whether it was an energy thing or just, I mean, the bench the bench had not great. I think the one shining star on the bench, which then has turned out to be kind of like the Shining Star Clue series is Jock Lundell started playing a little bit oh, more. He played, absolutely. he played 10 minutes, so he didn't play a ton that first game, but he had seven points. He's a plus five in his plus minus differential, and it was the start of, okay, I think what um, we started to see as a trend throughout the series, but it's kind of like the first time we've seen him. We, didn't, we rarely saw him in the Clippers series, but yeah. in the series you kind of need a little bit more bigger bodies. Oh, that, absolutely. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to him talking about game three because I, I, yeah. I have something to say about him. But uh, anyway, so so to finish out game one, it's still the turnovers. We were very uncharacteristic with our turnovers. I know Kevin Durant had like seven of our, our yeah. 16 total turnovers. Um, and then the rebounding, it was Denver had a total of 49 and Phoenix had a total of 38, which isn't terrible. The thing that I was looking at was Denver had 16 offensive rebounds. Yes. And that more often than not leads to second chance points. So that's just giving them extra free looks at the basket and you can't do that. Yep. And when eight of those come from Jokic, I mean, those he's, he's going to turn around and he's either going to find a really great pass like he always does, or he's going to be able to put the ball right back up and it's. Yeah, I, I think between the, the three-point difference and the rebounding, especially the offensive rebounding difference, that second quarter. Because other than that, I mean, we ended up, what? We ended up actually, if you take, if you remove the second quarter, we actually end up outscoring the Nuggets by one. If you put the other three quarters together. But yep. then that second quarter just, I mean, we can yeah, run out nice. of the building in that second quarter. Yep. All right. So then that led, leads us to game two. Um, a different game. Way different. Stark contrast. Completely. So this game was, I, w- I would have said, a lot better defensively. Yes. Um, I think it was a little bit of a mix between, you could tell the Suns had put a more more of an emphasis on defense. But I think it was also a combination of both teams were kind of just cold. Yeah. Um, I mean, outside of Jokic. In terms of, yeah, outside of Jokic. But in terms of, like, shooting percentages, uh, you know, Phoenix shot 40%, which is, isn't great. Denver shot 47, so I mean, it's not... They shot a little bit better, but what I was looking at was the three-point shooting. Yep. Denver shot 25, so almost 26%, which is not good, and we shot even worse at 19%. Yeah. It was, it was bad. And they only hit one more free throw. I mean, one more three than us. That we, they yeah. hit seven, we hit six, so it's like, again, we lose by 10, and if and if we have two, three more threes, it's, it's a one-point game. It's right there. That's anybody's game. But the big thing in that game, too, was... We had five free throws to Denver's 21. Yes, that was a very big discrepancy. I, I still don't understand or I, I can't fathom. You have players like Kevin Durant, like Devin Booker, um, and then some of the other role players could get free throws, but it's mainly those two guys, and you're telling me they only shot, as a team, five free throws the entire game? It just seemed like they were not being aggressive, or if they were being aggressive, they weren't getting the calls. 
And it just, I don't know if it got into their heads. It just had this overwhelming feeling of, okay, this is not going our way. They just settled for jump shots, and that just led to a terrible shooting percent. That, that was the other thing here. We shot 40% on 95 shots. Yeah. Denver shot 76. So we, we almost shot 20 more times in them. I was like, it, it just kind of blew my mind. I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen a team getting close to 100 shots in a game in this era like that yeah. that was just an insane amount of shots so it just told me that they they all they were doing was just settling for jump shots like yep uh, yeah it was well and it's like what's been frustrating this this series and and kind of just this playoffs is like and again we talked about it, but it's like man Josh Okogi during the season always he would I mean you felt like okay well, I don't know what his season stats are in turn, so 7.3 points a game 3.5 rebounds Shooting on forty percent, but it felt like he always, every couple weeks, he'd have a game where it's like, yeah, he could go off for twenty five points, and yeah. he just has. I mean, I get it; it's the playoffs; it's different, but it's like he hasn't gotten anywhere close to that. Game two, he scored two points. Game one, I think he scored four points, and it's like, yeah, when you have guys out there who are giving you five points max starting, yeah, like it's just you're you're relying so much on Katie and on Book to. To provide so much of your offensive output, and they can do it. I mean, they prove that they can do it. But it's like you have to, and, and that's what didn't happen. I mean, eight and had fourteen. We had three guys in double digits in the game too. Twenty-four points from KD, thirty-five from Book, and fourteen from Aiton. The like yeah. next closest was Chris Paul with eight, and he went out of the game. And he ended he up like twenty-five minutes. Yeah, it's it's been mind-boggling to me, and and from what I've seen with Okogi, obviously, obviously he's a more defensive-minded player and we've seen that kind of with them putting him on Jamal Murray and just yep. just being a hound just be a pest um, but the times that I've seen him get the ball in the games he's not looking for his shot no he which looks- so I don't know if they've been telling him okay yeah we're not trying to feature you on offense but it just looks like he's not trying or willing to shoot the ball at all and I I, I don't it's kind of baffling me because there's been times where he's been open yeah he, you know I, i'm thinking of one play in particular where he got the ball and he was in the paint or maybe like right at the free throw line he turned around and he was wide open like there was no one in front of him they were clearly doubling booker or you know defending the the, the perimeter he had a wide open shot and he missed it yep. he left it short and so i mean he just wasn't expecting that but i don't think he got the ball in that situation and was looking to score and that just made it easier for the Nuggets because they didn't have to focus on him. Yeah. And and especially if you look at this game, too, the bench difference. We have four points off our bench. And considering, again, four points, and Chris Paul played a little bit more than half the game. And it's like, man, you think between the guys who campaign, one of seven, two points. Uh, Damian Lee, who, again, would come in kind of playing maybe that off-ball number two guard, bring the ball up occasionally. Uh, played 26 minutes, 0-5, zero points. And it's just like, you just, you're not going to win series. You, you can win games, and we've proved it, but it's like, you've got to get something from your bench. And even and even in this game, I mean, the the Nuggets had 14 points from their bench. Again, that, that's, a, that's a huge difference. You take away, that's 10 points. That's a 10-point lead right there. We scored four points, they scored 14, we lost by 10. 10 yep. points. Best that's it. Bench differential. And it's just like, man, you got to just figure out. 
And again, maybe players just because it's like KD and Book can always go off, but you just have to have guys who are ready in a moment back. Okay, I gotta be able to hit this three. I gotta be able to, to hit this this layup, get this and one occasionally. And Kobe can drive. I mean, he's he's fast, he's quick. You gotta think, okay, like he's gonna have wide open looks because they're doubling. It's, what I've seen is that they essentially double Durant almost every time. Yeah. And then yeah. Durant will pass out, and there's always a one, one and a half on book. It's someone's, whoever's guarding book, and then someone else is usually pretty close. Shading, just, shading and giving some help, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, other guys are going to be open. I mean, yeah. and Katie and Booker are both willing passers. They're great passers. But just guys are not, well, again, whether it's just hesitancy to shoot, I mean... Outside of campaign and and Lee, Jacques Landell that game. Okay, he didn't play great. F- five minutes didn't sh- didn't shoot once. Bismack shot twice. Tory Craig played eleven minutes, didn't shoot or shot twice. Yeah, it's just for a game where we shot so much, it came from two guys. And it's yeah. If you're trying to win a series, you're trying to win a title. I just don't think you can have just two guys being the majority of your offense with everyone else essentially being zeros yeah no i and I, i'm almost more okay with us leaning on booker because he it just yeah. it seems like that guy's a machine yeah like he just does not get tired he's just constantly going his motor is just on high he's doing something in these playoffs that is almost unheard of yeah um the guy i think he as of right now he's averaging the second highest points per game through like the first eight games of the playoffs since I'm, since like Michael Jordan yeah I think it's, it's him and it's Michael and then it's him it's ridiculous like so he's just on one right now um, and I think that's good for us because obviously KD has really struggled these past two games finding his shot yep now uh, he scored twenty four points in game two and then we're moving on to game three he scored thirty nine that was a little bit deceiving because free throws his, yeah it was mostly free throws. Um, of our of the team's eighteen free throws, I think he shot sixteen of them. Yep, he shot sixteen, and, and Booker then shot two at the end. Book got two at the end, which that was the other thing too. Is Book had forty seven in game three, uh, just unbelievable. A Twenty of twenty five. It was like eighty five of eight from three. Yeah. Oh my goodness, this guy is just on another level. And he saw nine assists. Nine assists, that's six rebounds. That's the thing too is steals. that it's not just forty seven points and like zero assists and zero rebounds. Like this guy, he's that's one of those Kobe numbers. He was like, getting close to a triple double. Yes. So, I mean, you can see it was just a very complete performance. The guy makes things look so easy. Yep. And some of these shots that he makes are just, they're, sometimes you're just like, how was that going in? Oh, there was that one where he, he was driving left. He he was looking for the contact. Yes. He, he initiated the contact, and he just shoots up and a like floater. Flipped it up. And it goes in, and you're just like, how is he doing this? It's wild. It is something so cool to see. Um, uh, it's so much fun to watch him. It, especially when KD is struggling yeah. to find his shot. You know, So, yeah, he ended up with 39 points on 12 of 31 shooting. So it was pretty terrible. Yep. Uh, but the silver lining is he knew that. So he decided to get more aggressive, get to the free throw line. Yes. And that helped spark a little bit more of, okay, he's he's being aggressive. He forced the Nuggets to play their hand, to foul him, send him to the line. That's all a good scorer needs is to start seeing the ball go through the basket. Yeah, 100%. In whatever way, and he can just light it up in, the, in, in an instant. So that was really good on his part. Um and there's no one that I mean, there's really no one that can guard him if he starts to drive in. And and he just and you saw it like when the shot wasn't going, he just okay, 
I'm going to get the ball. I'm immediately driving. Put your head down and go. And that's yeah. where it got to. A lot of his fouls weren't shooting. It, they weren't like a traditional, okay, he's going up for a mid-range shooter. It's because he was driving. He was forcing the action. Yeah. And, again, it just, yeah, game two was much better in terms of just, hey, he was able to just start scoring. Again, even just free throws. It's we, we need guys to hit free throws. We're not a huge free throw shooting team. So if you can have someone who's shooting 15, 12 to 15 free throws a game, like that's huge. It's what we need. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Just just being more aggressive. How about getting the Nuggets into foul trouble? Yeah. I mean, forcing the hand of the officials to call the fouls, getting them into foul trouble, because we've seen in the, for those first two games, the Nuggets were very aggressive. Yes. Very, you know, defensively, but even offensively, offensive, offensively too. They were really just taking it to us. Yep. I saw something a little bit different in Game Three, where we were the kind of the ones being more aggressive um, and trying to take it to them more, um, which also leads into the other point of the bench did a little bit more this this game. Yeah, we saw a little bit more of the balanced scoring. Like we saw T.J. Warren make a couple buckets. Terrence Ross made a few. Um, Shamit finally made a couple buckets. Shamit finally. And even if it's just, even if it's just. Getting guys some more minutes because if you look at the minutes difference, I mean, okay, Kobe started, but he only played ten minutes. But TJ Warren played twenty six minutes, Shamit played twenty five minutes, Lindell played twenty five minutes. I mean, Book and KD still played in the forties, but you were just able to have more, just different looks, and yeah. maybe guys who aren't TJ Warren shot seven shots, Terrence Ross seven shots. You have guys who aren't so much afraid to shoot, and again, just providing a little bit more that Denver has to think about. Yeah. And just okay. We just have to try to stop booking Katie. So okay, these guys are willing shooters. Maybe they're not. Hopefully, they start hitting a little bit more. But it's like they're at least going to do something. They're gonna try to shoot. Yeah. Well, I think I feel like it. It helped open up the floor more. It helped the spacing because, and I even heard them mention this in the broadcast. It said this is exactly what Monty Williams was hoping would happen when deciding to play Warren and and Ross and Shamit a little bit more. Yep opening up more space on the floor and that was allowing KD to get to his spots allowing Book to get to his spots um, so it, overall it just helps the team flow better because as awesome as it is to see Book and KD going off every night like this I'm, it just makes me wonder how sustainable it is on, on whether or not the Suns can depend on them scoring 80-90 points every single night yeah Book went for 47, KD 39 it's like you, you can't expect that they're going to score in the high 80s to 90s, night in, night out. Like, yes, you could probably can safely assume they're probably going to score in the 60s to 70s. I was going to say, they're, they're more than capable of doing yes. it. Yeah. But but you want, you, you need more. I mean, the bench, again, the bench provided, what, 22 points, which is huge i mean uh, that's just i big, mean big if your difference. bench can provide 22 points a game 20 to 22 you hopefully maybe your starters you hope campaign maybe hit gets closer to double digits 10 12 points then you come to the the conversation of eight <laughs> and again so again put that for a second you, you if your bench can get you let's say 17 points just average that's great from the bench and then you hope that campaign can get you closer to 12 so that again you're looking okay you just need Maybe one other starter, and you would hope that's eight in to get you into double digits, and you could sorry, you can scale back. You don't have to have KD and Book going off for forty-ish points each, like yeah. But eight in has been so read so reading silent. Twenty-six minutes, nine rebounds, one block, four fouls, 
four points. Two of six shooting. Uh, in my honest opinion, I'm ready to move on from him. Yeah, I'm, I think a lot of Suns fans are. I kind of, I'm, I'm, I kind of think that it was a mistake to give him the the, the extension that we did. You know, because we know in the offseason the the Pacers had signed him to an offer sheet. The Suns matched it. I I think maybe begrudgingly they matched it. Yeah, I think it's one of those ideas that you don't want to lose the asset. Yeah, and and maybe they were still hanging on to the hope of maybe there is still something that we can extract out of him. But I think by this time, by this point, four, almost five years into his NBA career, I think he is what he is. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and there's so many. The biggest thing I, I saw this clip, and it was Chris Paul. It was during the game. Chris Paul was trying to encourage him. He just blew Chris Paul off. And I don't know. I get Chris Paul. I know people say like he can be. Yeah, his, his style is a little bit in your face. But even then, even in the last series, it felt like so many times you had to see Katie and Book just trying to encourage Aiden a ton, just trying to always pump him up. And it's like, man, you're a quasi max player. You were the first pick overall. Like. If you can't get motivated and get excited enough and determined enough, like, okay, like, I don't have my shot going tonight, but they don't need my shot going tonight, I'm going to get 15 rebounds. I'm going to be a monster defensively. I'm going to make Jokic's night a, a living nightmare. It's like, yeah, yeah. he just, you just feel like he he has somewhat, he checks out way too easy. He gets, he gets butt hurt way too easy. Yes. And it's like, so then you okay? So the other center, Jock Landau. That segues perfectly into Jock Landau. 22 minutes, <laughs> seven rebounds, or sorry, nine rebounds. So they both had exact same amount of rebounds. Mm-hmm. They both had uh, eight and had a block. Landau had a steal. Landau had six points. And his plus minus was a plus 10. Eight wins was a minus four. I, and he, yeah. you could just tell when he's in there, the energy is just different. He, he is, Yeah. He is maybe, he is not maybe, he is not as naturally gifted as Aiton, but that dude cares. Like he just cares to a level that Aiton sometimes just doesn't. Well so so what what's remember the old the old saying um and I'm I'm blanking hard right work. Now. Yeah. Hard work beats talent hard, when talent yes. doesn't work hard. Exactly. Hard week hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It's, and that's Aiton Aiton has all the talent in the world. Yep. The guy is is very talented when he wants to be. Or when he's focused or when he's, you know, concentrated. I saw something different when Jacques Landau came in the game and the way he was basically going at the Nuggets players and was just in their face and yeah. he's saying, I'm coming in here, I'm playing physical, you're going to like it. Yep. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I, like I saw a couple times, there was Bruce Brown started jawing at him. Yeah, getting mad. Landau did nothing. He all he did was he just sat at the he sat at the block and he was waiting for a free throw. He's just clapping his hands and he's just staring. Like you could tell he had an intensity on his face. Yep. Where he's like, I know what my role is and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I think it got under the skin of some of the Nuggets players because some of them got a little bit heated. Yeah. I I, just I, I liked it. Yeah. Oh no, I loved it. I, I was watching the game with my father in law and we were just sitting there. It's like, okay, like when Landell's coming back in, like get eight and out. Eight and just you, you can just like this the energy's low he's not there's just something off whether he's just not feeling it he's not happy that he's a third option on this team he's a fourth option when chris paul's there but it's like dude the the suns need him badly in this series they need him if they want to win a championship they need Aiden to be the eight and when they went to the when they went to the finals yeah. he was awesome that series the whole yeah. the whole playoffs he was a monster and it's just he has just gone 
not even down a hole. He's just gotten. He's just in this weird space where it's just like he just doesn't have that energy output when he's on the bench. He's just sulking. He's mad. He's not yeah. happy. And it's like, yeah, you. I think at this point, unless there's a huge turnaround, and he starts playing better, his attitude changes. Not we don't have to win a title. He just unless he can have this turnaround where he can show that potential again, and consistently be playing at that high level. I don't see how you don't look to trade him because really he's probably one of your last. It's probably your only big piece you can trade in yeah. terms of a name, a contract that you can get multiple pieces back for because he is making a lot of money. So you have to make the the contracts match. Like yeah, yeah. Because you're not you're not trading book. You're not trading Durant. You're probably you may or may not re-sign or look to trade away Chris Paul. So it's like really it's. You know, we don't have any for, the, we don't have picks to trade. Yeah, he's the guy. Aiden's the guy, but then it's again, it's like, okay, how much can you get for him? I still think I think that you could get something for him. I think you probably could, and I'm not saying I love this, but you probably could get John Collins for him. You you probably could get you probably could get pieces for him. Again, it's it would be trying to match up contracts and such. But yeah, I mean, unless there's a huge turnaround, which I just I just don't have the faith there is. I don't think he's He's just mentally there to have it. Well, I think I think if it was gonna be if it was gonna happen, it would have happened by now. Yeah, yeah. Or like you know, like you said, in the playoffs a couple years ago, we saw something in him. We're like, okay, maybe he's turned a corner. Like maybe yep. this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And then he just regressed right back to what he was, and we haven't seen that guy since. It's very. It's been super puzzling, and. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm. If Jock Landau's gonna come in and give us that type of effort every time he comes in, start him. Yeah, start. Start him. him bring Aiden off the bench. Yep. Like, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing more humbling than if you've been a starter since day one, and then you get benched. There's two. You know, obviously, there's two ways you can take that. You either learn from it and you set yourself up for success and say, okay, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna figure out what what I wasn't doing right. Or you can sulk and pout and have it be the kind of the demise of your career. So, yeah. in my opinion, I think that's maybe what needs to happen to really make him think. Yeah, it's interesting to see see what happens tonight, what Monty decides to do because you, you you just got to have that energy you need, and Jacques Landau provided it. I mean, even even Bismack, I don't think Bismack when he comes in, he guys a little bit all over the place, but again, he just provides that energy, just that energy you need. You just need dudes who are excited to be out there, dudes who are flying around trying the hardest and you just feel like Aiton sometimes does not you feel like there's another level he, he, he it seems like he's just floating in fourth gear all the time like he's yeah. just whole it's humming a, around a, the auto, autopilot yeah exactly it's, <laughs> it's like man like how do you not realize that again and maybe because it's like he he wants these touches and he he's feeling like well between book and KD I can't get these touches but they it also seems like they don't trust him a ton yeah it's Again, it comes back to these issues where he sometimes that doesn't have the greatest hand. He doesn't have the greatest handle when he gets gets fed an inlet pass, and he, he he tends to drop the ball, or he tends to always go down before going up. And it's yes. just like there was a play, he got a rebound. I think it was one of maybe the only offensive rebounds he got. Yeah, he got one. I, I can remember it. he got one offensive rebound, and he got it. And he was on he was on the left hand side. And he got it. He probably caught the ball mid chest. So one thing that's six plus something feet. Yeah. And Jokic, I was, I don't think Jokic was on him at that point. Jokic was away. I think maybe Michael Porter Jr. was by him. So getting a, a taller guy. Instead of him going immediately back up with it, mm-hmm. he went down, went up, got blocked. 
Yep. And it was like, yep. dude, just and he's a good free throw shooter too. Yeah. Not like he's a bad yeah. Free. So it's like, get the ball, go back up immediately, stop going down with it. You get blocked all the time. You give the defense a chance to recover. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that I've I've been really trying to figure out why or why he does it. Like you look at Jokic and when he gets an offensive rebound, what is he what is the first thing he does? He keeps it up high. Yep. And he has one of two options. He either passes it out or he goes right back up with it. He you know keeps it high, he grabs that ball, goes right back up with it and usually ends up scoring. Yep. I can't for the life of me figure out why you get that rebound and bring it down where everyone can just start swiping at it. Yes. And he loses the ball more than someone should <laughs> for somebody that tall. For someone that big, someone that tall, he just loses the ball. And and, and, and I'm thinking of the cer- a certain series. I think it all happened within a, a certain span that led to the fans booing him. He legit got booed in his home arena. Because there was the series was, I think he ended up getting the ball. It was on like a pick and roll or something like that. He got the ball and he was wide open. Go dunk that ball. Yep. He tries to lay it up and he ends up being short, misses it. They get the rebound and then he gets beat on the other end because Jokic ran the floor and gets a gets a bucket on the other end. Then we come uh, come down. We miss a shot or something like that. And then Denver goes back down, misses the shot. He gets the rebound, but then gets it poked from behind by somebody and they loses the ball and. It was just mind-numbing. Like, does he just not have the awareness or he's just not focused on what he's doing and just yep. kind of on that autopilot mode? Yeah, I mean, again, is it just, like you said too, is, that, is it just he, is, whether it's the awareness or the focus, there's just, he always just seems, seems like he's just a step slower than what everybody else is doing around him. And it's just baffling because he's, He's this athletic freak. I mean, the dude's yeah. great. If you, if you put him up next to Jokic, people would be like, oh, Aiton's the better player because you just look at him. He's just, he's a specimen. And Jokic is a little bit, little bit more dumpy, but it's like, it's not even close. And it's, yeah, it, 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 there's just something with him where he's just, and again, it, it, and I remember, I remember listening to a Chauncey Billups interview once and he talked about how when they were, when they were on their run, when they won the, when they won the title, they always had to get Rasheed the ball for the first few touches. And it's kind of all that. Again, it's like, okay, if you want if you want your big man who's maybe not going to get the ball as much to be staying engaged into a game, you give him a few touches right from the get-go. Yep. You give him a few touches. Let yep. him know, here's the ball. We don't always do that. Maybe that would help. That just, hey, okay. Hey, but again, it's like, I think when they when that that idea when you would give Rashid the ball, it was because he was going to go up and he was going to score. He's going to yeah. get a few dunks, get yeah. some easy points, and be excited. And it's like. Well, you can't even trust Aiton to do that. You can't trust him to make the right play, get a dunk, get get a get fouled. Yeah, I, it's it's so frustrating to watch. And at this point, we've seen it so much, and yeah. it's been so frustrated that I don't know if I can be frustrated anymore. It's kind of just you expect e- it's expected happen. to happen at this yep. point. So I, yeah, I don't know how much more frustrated you can get, but when it's when it's these kind of minutes and it. It's the minutes that matter, yep. and your season's going to be on the line. You can't have that. So no, and it's I. I really think too, if he keeps playing poorly and we lose the series, as much as I still think the bench, our depth is a huge issue. I think people are going to be way, and maybe you can solve one with the other. But I think a lot more people are going to be like, well, Aiton was the issue. Aiton, you look at his just his output each game. Well, I, I think it's a mix of both. I think Aiton has become an issue. 
I think our bench is an issue, so maybe you try to fix it by, all right, let's try to trade away in and get what we can to help fix the bench. Yeah. Who, who yeah. knows that? It's 2-1, so it's not all doom and gloom. We still yeah. won the last game. Game game four is tonight. That, that, yeah, I'll say that leads into tonight. Game four, it's May 7th, Sunday night. So I think this one has to be uh, – I, I was thinking the same thing as uh, – about game three is that I think it was a must win. Yeah, you can't go down. I can't go to a three zero because then obviously the odds are way stacked against you. No, no teams come back from that deficit. Um, okay, you you stole or you, you won the game that you were supposed to win at home. Tonight has to be a must win because if yep. you don't win tonight, you go back to Denver down three one. You got to win two games in Denver. Yeah, I don't see that happening. No, I think I think you look at tonight again as a. It's easy to say. It's a must win. You you need to get the series tied up, because then it's just all right. We gotta you gotta steal one game in Denver, and that's it. That's the series. You steal one game, you win at home, you protect home court. That's all that matters. So it's that's it. Yeah. Again, yeah. It's it's a must win tonight. It'll be really to see Aiton's energy when he comes out. Does Monty have the stones to go? Okay, we're gonna start Lundell tonight. Like I'm I'm curious. I really want to see because if if he did that, I think that would be a swift kick in the butt. Yes. Now, now, knowing what we've seen about Aiton, hopefully he doesn't take it the, the other way and just starts yeah. pouting and then just ends up, and then we're just down a guy who just doesn't want to play. Yep. But I do think that that would be something that would throw kind of a little bit of a curveball in there. Yeah, 100%. So it'll be, it'll be uh, super interesting to see what happens tonight. Mm. Definitely looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of our. Uh, our take on the the NBA playoffs and the Suns, kind of where they're at. Yep. Um, we definitely kind of thought – I thought that the Nuggets series was going to be, you know, more competitive than the Clippers series. But up to this point, I didn't think it was going to be this competitive, this bad. Um, like I said, the first couple of games, that it was uh, had me kind of worried. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll see how kind of how tonight goes and then and the thing we'll is, go I, from there. Yeah, and I don't think it's – the thing is, like, I don't think it's – Unwinnable. I don't think it's like all right. We're just yeah. we're not gonna. I, I definitely still have a lot of a lot of hope and fit. Like yeah, we could still one hundred percent win this series. Like I think it's just gonna take pretty big efforts, and it's gonna take Aiton really stepping up and the and the bench again. Hey, give us twenty points tonight. Yeah, yeah. Even even if you give us seventeen points, you gotta hope that okay, like campaign gives a few more points, Aiton gives a few more points, but. I, it's not yeah. this series. I feel like okay, we're just definitely going to lose. Like, yeah. Well, and, and and the other thing too is we won Game Three. Obviously, obviously we're riding the the, the back of Devin Booker when with his whole performance, yep. but we won Game Three with Kevin Durant still struggling mightily. Yes. If he finds that shot, and you know, so so he took thirty one shots this last game. He made twelve of them. If he makes seven more of those, if he went twenty of thirty one and Book went twenty of twenty five, like not even close. It's not even close. Exactly. So we were able to win that game with one of our stars still struggling to find a shot. Yep. So I it still gives me that hope. You know, if Booker and Katie have it going, we can beat them. There's yeah. there's no doubt in my mind. One hundred percent. So you don't you don't need a lot else. You just need you just need a little bit more like we got last game. And it, and if Aiton can turn it around and can, can get his head out of his butt, <laughs> you you even think hey, hey, we can we can even beat him better we can score more we can we can beat them by 15 16 not by seven eight nine points yeah all right so last little bit we'll just kind of touch on again with a lot else going on but the d-backs d-backs have been playing well these guys these guys have uh, fun. 
they're fun to watch. I, I don't know if you watched the game last nope. night. I, I, I didn't get to watch the whole game, but I saw the last little bit of it, and it was wild. Yes, that ninth <laughs> inning, seven runs, I think, scored, or eight <laughs> runs between the two teams. and It was... Yeah, to to get the, to get the game tying home run and then get a a, a, a freaking walk off walk, <laughs> that was something cool to see. Um, but something really cool that I'm seeing is that this team, they don't care who they're playing. Like the guys come to play. Yep. They're just gonna be up there having fun with it. They're just they're together as a team, and yeah, like they just they just don't care who. The opponent is like they're just there to play and have fun and it, I'm, I'm here for it like i'm liking it yeah uh, i mean i think on this team you're looking at probably have i think the dodgers have another kid who's pretty good who's who i think between him and corbin carroll you're looking at like the rookie of the year nl battle right there and carroll has played awesome i mean he had yeah, his little stud. injury scare when he ran into the wall but he, he's come back he seems like he's fine yeah he's a stud you have you have your one two punches that guy who's going to be up there in, in the in the uh, Cy Young NL again. You got Merrill Kelly who's again. I mean, he's calmed down a little bit from the start of the season. Rocky start, pitched great, pitched great last game had double digit strikeouts. And you're just hoping that some of these young arms can come up and, and keep playing, and keep pitching well. Um, the other thing about this team too is that. And I, and I really don't even think we've hit our full potential yet because yeah. you still have Jake McCarthy who got sent down. He's struggling. I think, and he's turned around, and I guess from all the reports, is he's hitting really well back down in Reno. So it's like, okay, you got to hope that he'll he'll be back up. He'll be yeah. back up. And I think when he comes back up, I think you're sending Alec Thomas down because he has yeah. last night he had two hits, but he has really struggled. He. I think his just his swing needs to get reworked a little bit because he is he, he does this thing again nerdy baseball knowledge on how many people are super interested. But he has this swing where he's it's kind of like an Ichiro swing where he is he's almost starting to run to first as he's he's kind of that he start slap. starting the motion yeah but he hits it to the second baseman. It feels like every at-bat. almost every time <laughs> i mean it's like when he grounds out which is a lot it's because he hits a straight at the second baseman because he kind of has that slap motion i think i think when jake mccarthy comes back up he's the number one target to go back down and again it's kind of nice because they're both outfielders so you just swap one for one and you, you keep your positional depth but i think he is the guy who needs to go get his head on straight needs to get his swing worked out yeah because you don't want to run the risk of keeping him up for too long and him just losing his confidence like get him back down let him work his swing out, let him get his confidence back up, and then bring him back up. But Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely have the time to work on it. Like, yeah, like right, as of right now, he's batting 184. So, I mean, yeah. that's not, not great. Um, McCarthy got sent down. He was batting 143 at, the, at that point. But, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, touching on the, the Corbin Carroll, man, that kid, he's leading the team right now with batting average, and yeah. he's hitting 320. Yep. <laughs> he's got, what, five home runs, 11 RBIs, He's this kid. He's got twenty scored twenty two runs. I mean, the, yeah, his speed is a his huge speed part is of his huge. Game. The other thing I'm looking at too is he's drawn ten walks. He yeah. he leads the team with with walks drawn. And he's just, I mean, he's just a stud. I mean, he's just. And the other thing too is the stolen bases. Yep, he's got ten stolen bases. The next the next uh, highest number on the team is three, and that's Alec Thomas, Josh Rojas, and Nick Ahmed. But nobody else has more than three, and he's got ten. <laughs> the kid is just a stud. Yeah, you, you. I mean, when you think of like, okay, we just gave him like a hundred some odd million dollar contract, but when you think of like 
okay, like who, who does a team build around? Like that's the kind of guy. Like yeah, he's just he just does it all around. He he has some pop in his bat. He he plays great defense. He can steal bases. I mean, he 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 really is like. Maybe you wish he had a little more power, but he doesn't need it because he can. He manufactures yeah. run with the speed. Exactly. Yeah. No. He. Yeah. You don't necessarily need power, but nope. uh, at the same time, he's tied for second on the team in home runs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you got Christian Walker, who's who's he's a home run hitter no matter yes. what, but Cattell Marte and and Corbin Carroll are tied for second with five. So I mean, it, it, the kid, the kid can play. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think he's going to be in the running there for rookie of the year. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's top ten in in MLB. He's number nine sitting at like I said ten steals, and so it's just no. He's he's super fun to watch. The Diamondbacks have a lot of guys. I mean Josh Rojas has really turned it around this season. Now he doesn't play against a lot of left-handed pitching still, which is the thing you you want to keep working on. But the thing is they have um, they have Evan Longoria who can sub in. Yeah. Um, so they they have enough, but he's and his global, his defense has been really exceptional this year. Cattell Marte's looking like he's back, playing really well. Uh, Walker's getting his powers right there. But even like Gurriel. Gurriel's been a huge, huge addition to the team just with his power and his bat. Perdomo's played really well at shortstop, and he's kind of looking like the shortstop of the future. Um, yeah. you, can, you can be able to move, move on from Nick Ahmed. I mean, really, this team is just – they're just solid all around. You maybe don't have the star powers of some of – I mean, you, you just look at our division. You don't have the star powers of the, of the Padres – of the Dodgers, but you have just a lot of guys who are playing unselfish baseball. They play for the team. It, kind of all those those old adages you hear. It's like you really think about it. It's like, yeah, that's what the D-backs are. It's not yeah. – they don't have maybe some of the issues of a Manny Machado, of, yeah. of Tatis. Yeah, you don't get all uh, – you don't get the benefits of those dudes either, but it's like you have a team who – it's not – it's not much of mercenaries. Who- it kind of it kind of reminds me a lot of back when the Diamondbacks won the World Series that year, where they had just had a bunch of guys who were just team players. Yep. There wasn't. I mean, obviously we had Johnson and Schilling, and they were like our two aces. They're two like studs, but the majority of the guys on the roster of on the position players were just team guys. Like, yep. hey, we just want to do our part. Help the team. Craig it's, Council. It's not about Williams, us. Williams. Yep. Know, like Tony Womack. Yeah. Street Finley. Luis Gonzalez. Like, yeah, that, that team back in the day. So this this team this year is giving me a lot of those vibes, like you yeah. were saying. Um, they just play together. They play for each other. They, they're just out there having fun, you know? Yeah, if you can keep playing well. Um, the thing is, it's kind of like the Dodgers. The Dodgers really don't – I mean, you have – obviously you have Mookie Betts, but a lot of the Dodgers guys are dudes that are homegrown talent. It, yeah. It, so that's what you kind of hope the D-backs can continue to become because it's you're never going to have the money to compete with, realistically, the Padres or the Dodgers or the Giants. But a lot of those teams that, that the Giants won with, if you think about their model, a lot of times when they were in the World Series, it's all homegrown talent. Yeah. All dudes who yeah. either they traded for when they were really young, um, like Del Marte that we've traded for now, or it's just the guys they brought up through their system they drafted well. And that's... And that's the exciting thing about the D backs is that they just, you kind of feel like, okay, like with the talent they have down in, in their farm system, with their young arms who are hopefully going to keep getting better and better, this team is just on an upward trajectory. It's not just, okay, well, we don't have arms. We don't, like, there's a few years back where it's like, man, you just felt like they didn't have anything. It's like, okay, you, you see where they're going towards. You see, you feel, and you hope now, I think the biggest hope is that they stop. The Granky deal was great, the, and they and, and heck, I ended up getting him Josh Rojas and got him some picks. But it's like 
you just hope that they no longer feel the need to sign the Bumgarner deal. A dude yeah. aging, yeah. give him a huge contract. You're gonna eating a ton of that contract now. It's like you you hope that with how the farm system is that you no longer have to give a hundred million dollars to a guy in his mid early to mid thirties, especially with Bumgarner's arm just started going like Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I like the, I like where the team's at right now. Yes, I'm looking right now at, at batting stats right for the entire league, like American League and National League for the entire MLB. They're sitting at tied for third with average, which is huge. The, the The Rays are hitting 277 as a team. The Red Sox hitting 273, and then the Diamondbacks and the Cubs are tied at 270. And which is crazy because you think about it, like that's you crazy. just said, you have Thomas who's starting every game and he's sitting in the 182. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and so then I go look at the individual stats, and obviously we talked about Corbin Carroll. He's hitting 320. You got Lourdes Gurriel who's hitting 300. Nope. Christian Walker's hitting 286, which he's he's obviously a slugger, but I've always thought his percentage has been lower. Like he's he's a lot of times hitting low 200s, and you kind of take the good with the bad because he is a slugger, but. Um, Marte's hitting 259, Josh Rojas 271, uh, our catcher Gabriel Moreno 294. Yep. I mean, so we got some good hitters, or at least at least right now they're hitting the ball really well. So I'm 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 excited, man. This team has really got me. And then the other thing with with Gallon and Kelly, man, these guys they really are looking like a solid one-two punch. I mean, yeah. Zach Gallon's got a two-two-five-three ERA. And Merrill Kelly's got a two seven five ERA, so both of those guys are under three, just absolute studs right now. No, they're pitching awesome, and the, and the the nice thing too is that we have I feel like for the first time in a long time, guys out of the bullpen who can hit a hundred or can hit high ninety yes. ninety six ninety seven. I feel like that was something we always struggled with as well in years past. Was just every arm that was coming out of the pin was was a specialty guy trying to hit location trying to fool put fool batters but you have um you have you have guys like um I, I keep put he pitched last night i can't think of his name off the top of my head um i didn't get to see it miguel castro castro miguel castro who can hit again he's hit i've seen him hit 97 on the gun um scott magoo who i think is a little bit shaky but he's hit high 90s um you're, you wish Chafin could hit a little bit higher, but he's kind of more of a specialty pitcher. But again, you, I think we have a couple guys where it's like, okay, yeah, they at least can come out and throw close to a hundred, and it feels like we never had that. So it's it's just nice to have that ability of okay, this guy can come out and just throw fastballs past guys. Yeah. So you, you feel like that mix they're getting, they're, and the thing is crazy, they're just getting younger too. Their their pitching staff is going to get younger. They're going to keep bringing up guys. And the back end of the bullpen, you just hope, okay, between Henry and Nelson and when Dre Jamison gets back, you just hope that these guys continue to just improve and continue to get those reps in. And whatever happens in the season, it feels like it's going to be a win because it feels like we're going to be right there pushing for a wild card spot. Even if we don't get it, it's okay because it's – No, yeah. You, you just like the trajectory of where this team is going. Yeah, no, even if we don't get a wild card spot, I, I like the way that the team is performing up to this point because like, obviously like we talked about there, I don't think there was a whole lot of expectation coming in. Obviously we knew we were going to be relying on a lot of young players yep. trying to do our rebuild. But if they're already – this far ahead on their learning curve, it, it only bodes well for the future. So, yeah, even if they don't get a playoff spot this year, I, I'm not going to say that it wasn't a, a success. You know, I, I think so far 
this far into the season, it's been a success just based on expectations and then how they've performed against those expectations. No, one hundred percent. And I and I think Tori's played. Where, Tori's been. I, I like the decisions he makes a lot of times. So I think, I think he's probably going to get rewarded with the contract again. I think he's okay. I, 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 I realistically, it's like Tori's great. Um, I don't think there's been. He he had to suffer through a couple really bad years, and I, but I think he's shown like okay, like I can coach this type of team, like, which is which has been really really nice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's. Definitely looking forward to it. Definitely yeah. uh, got some bright spots here with the Diamondbacks. So No, definitely. All right. Well, I think that's about all we had. I don't know if you have anything else, Brennan. No, it's just it's hopefully the Suns can, can get another win tonight. It's, yeah. it's even the series up and just it's just three games. Hey, best uh, of three. That, that's all it is. Yep. Win tonight, and then it's the best of three. Yep, then exactly. I, I, f- I feel confident if they win tonight, they have that momentum. Take that to Denver. Steal one there, and then you can come home and win it. Yeah, like that's ideally that's what we could. That's what should happen, or what needs to happen. Um, but yeah, I think I don't know. It's uh, it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's one thing that I've noticed is that in this last game, we got ahead by a, quite a bit. Yeah, that second quarter. In the second quarter, and the Nuggets came right back out and erased that deficit right away. Yes. And I think in this, especially in this last game, they drew upon the experience that they had against the Clippers the first round of that team that just won't go away, team just won't lay down and die. You draw on that experience of, okay, we know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to counterpunch, and they got right back in the game, but the Suns didn't lose their cool. They kept, you know, they put the ball in the hands of their stars, and they kept their, their calm, and it ended up working out, but... It's uh, it's it's tough. The Nuggets are not a they're not a pushover. <laughs> no, definitely not. And yeah, I think that you like the fact that they were able to go. Okay, like we we just got hit with a haymaker, and we can come back and, and do the same thing. We're not going to just oh crap, we lost our lead. We're down and out. It's like they they kept fighting. They got the W. So yeah, I think tonight's. I think especially with this, and you really feel like this series is going to really determine what eight in future. Um, how bad he's been if he can turn it around I don't I want to have the hope because I feel like that's the only way we win this series is realistically him needing to turn it around so it's like you keep that hope you keep that that faith that okay he can do that but it's like boy something needs to change majorly big time yep big time all right well that's our episode and uh we're we appreciate you all of you listening and following and and uh just listening to what we have to say yeah, for sure. You can find us again on, on most platforming, streaming, uh, podcast platforms, Off the Bench, Brandon Dallin, Instagram, at off, the bench, uh, off the Bench BND, and shoot us an email with questions, anything, comments, critiques, whatever, Off the Bench with, with BND at gmail.com. So now we appreciate everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for the listens, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.